The Joe Rogan Experience podcast was the motivating straw that broke the procrastinating camel's back for me. It has been a hub of fascinating conversations, inspiration, fun times, and life lessons. Not only did it make me realize that it was okay to pursue my dreams, but it gave me the necessary kick in the ass to realize that they were all possible too. It's truly a gift that each of you should unwrap. Joe, Brian, Jamie, and every guest that has and continues to share their experiences on the show, thank you. I am eternally grateful. What up, what up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the only podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 202. In this episode, I speak about the recent egregious actions by Russian President Vladimir Putin and his unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. I also speak about all the recent Joe Rogan controversies and let you guys know exactly where I stand. Please stick around to listen to all that good stuff. But first, before we get into the episode, I want you guys to take a second to listen to a quick way that you can help support the Sponsor Today podcast. Doing so helps me produce more episodes. It helps me free up more time to do more writing, which is what I love to do, and effectively put out more content. So if you've ever thought about Supporting the Sponsor Day podcast, here is one quick way that you can do just that. You can support the Sponsor Day podcast by going to sponsorday.com forward slash support. There you'll find my merch section where you can cop the iconic podcasts versus anybody t-shirt in a wide variety of different colors and all different sizes. Also, if you're into cycling, you can cop the super soft, comfortable, minimalist design Spun Today Bike Club t-shirt. Also available in a bunch of different colors in all different sizes. There are a few other designs of different types of t-shirts. Definitely go there and check it out. SpunToday.com forward slash support. It's the merch section. We can also get a dope coffee mug. I have coffee mugs with the brand new redesigned Spun Today logo on one side and the tagline that I end every show with on the other, which is start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. The mug is available in both black and white because we don't discriminate here at the Spun Today podcast. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and check out the merch section. The Russian invasion of Ukraine. First and foremost, my heart goes out to all of the people of Ukraine, the lives lost, the displaced families, the heroic men and women forced to fight off this unprovoked attack, and to all the Russians on the other side who didn't want this war, which are the ones suffering the brunt of all the sanctions imposed on Russia, the embargoes, frozen bank accounts, etc., because of Vladimir Putin's actions. My heart goes out to each and every one of them. I, like many other ignorant Americans, don't know much about Ukraine. So when the situation began popping off, I started asking myself the obvious questions like, why Ukraine? Why now? From Putin's perspective, what does he have to gain aside from the geographic territory? Like, what are the other angles at play here? 
So I started looking into it a bit, looking a few things up that I'm going to share with you guys today. And I remember just a few years back where Russia did the same type of thing with Crimea, which I learned was part of Ukraine. So I'm just like, what is it? What is it with Putin? Is this just his MO? You know, stir up some shit every once in a while, take some land. So anyway, I looked into it. And a lot of what I'm going to share with you guys is from a great Ukraine timeline that I found published by Cairn University. And I'm going to link to it in the episode notes in case you guys want to check it out. Because it's a really long timeline, but I'm just going to highlight a few things related to what I was looking for. Like the deal basically between Russia and Ukraine. Like what's going on there? What's going on with that beef? In 1922, Russia and Ukraine are two of the founding members of the Soviet Union. In 1949, post-World War II, NATO was formed. NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is an intergovernmental military alliance of 28 European countries and two North American countries, being the U.S. and Canada. So NATO was formed in 1949 with 28, 30 countries, 28 European countries, to North American countries. Fast forwarding to 1990, and again, a lot of shit happened in between that you guys can check out in the full timeline, but I'm just highlighting some key points here. In 1990, Ukraine, which was not part of NATO, by the way, Ukraine declared independence from the Soviet Union. So up until that point, they were still part of the Soviet Union. In 1991, Ukraine votes to make itself officially independent, and the Soviet Union dissolves. And when the Soviet Union dissolved into Russia, Ukraine, a bunch of other Eastern European countries, now Eastern European countries, a year later in 1992, NATO started contemplating adding some of those Central and Eastern European countries as members of NATO. Because what NATO is essentially is this alliance of countries that was agreed upon by obviously all of those countries, but Russia and other countries in the region as well. As like a peaceful, okay, you guys have your clique of countries over there. Russia is over here. We have a buffer in between of like neutral countries that aren't in technically with either side. So you have like that geographic buffer of these, you know, Central and Eastern European countries. So it's all good. But again, in 1992, NATO started contemplating expanding and adding those Central and Eastern European countries as members of NATO. And since the end of the Cold War... NATO has added 14 new members. Now, what this does from Putin's perspective, and I'm speculating, but he must see this as, all right, you guys had your NATO click over there. We all agreed, you know, this is how everything's divided up. But now you guys are expanding eastward towards Russia. And Ukraine is right on the border of a bunch of NATO countries on the western side, like Poland, Hungary, Romania. And on the eastern side, Ukraine's border is with Russia. So Putin's like, yo, you guys are pushing up close to my territory over here. And geographically, like all those Eastern European countries, like in between, like they share uh, history, obviously, right? With Russia, they were all part of the Soviet Union, you know, cultural ties and historical ties, obviously. And the Eastern part of Ukraine is more like pro-Russia. The Western part of Ukraine is more pro the US and Europe, you know, the West. Now, in 1994, after, again, the collapse of the Soviet Union, Ukraine is left with the world's third largest nuclear stockpile, which I had no idea. And then there was something called the Budapest Memorandum in 1994, 
which is a, a treaty where Ukraine agreed to trade away its intercontinental ballistic missiles, warheads, and other nuclear infrastructure in exchange for guarantees that the three other treaty signatories, which was the U.S., the U.K., and Russia, will respect the independence and sovereignty and the existing borders of Ukraine. So that was the deal. Ukraine was like, look, we're going to stay neutral. We're not. We're cool with you guys on both sides. But we're not joining any sides here. We want to be neutral. Here's our nukes. We all agree. This is Ukrainian land, sovereign land. Leave us the fuck alone on both sides. Then fast forward to 2008, and this is where I feel Putin started like fucking up because he had kind of like an, a logical argument before in terms of, you know, we all agreed that these were what the territories were, but you guys started expanding and saying that I can't expand. And I think he also uh, wanted Russia to become part of NATO, but NATO has always said no. So it's kind of like, all right, I can't join you guys either. What the fuck? And you guys are expanding. But check out what he does in 2008. Russia invades Georgia which is another nearby country. And the way they did it is pretty much the same strategy they used when they annexed Crimea and the same strategy that they use now in invading Ukraine, which was they identified pro-Russian areas within Georgia because, again, all these countries are part of the Soviet Union. Many still have like Russian ties, dependent on Russia for oil, etc. which I also found out Russia is like, one of the largest oil and gas exporters in the world larger than Saudi Arabia, which I didn't know. But going back to 2008, so they identified these pockets of pro-Russian support within Georgia and decided to invade Georgia on the pretext that those pro-Russian areas should be considered sovereign. And as such, Georgia is technically occupying sovereign Russian states. And they went in on that pretext in 2008. What kind of gangster ass shit is that? That's like me going into a bank and saying, hey, the money in that vault is pro Tony. It supports Tony. And this bank is holding it hostage. So I'm going into that vault and taking ownership of that vault and all the contents within it because you, this bank, is holding it hostage. Well played, Putin, you sick fuck. Then fast forward to 2010, the parliament of Ukraine voted to abandon NATO membership aspirations because apparently there's like this whole like lengthy long process to like be down with NATO. Then in 2014, Crimea was invaded by Russia. Again, same pretext. They, Russia and Putin identified Crimea as pro-Russia and technically Ukraine was occupying sovereign Russian, a portion of Russia. And they annexed it in March of 2014 annexed it, meaning AK took that shit. Then in April of 2021, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, urged NATO leadership to put Ukraine on a timeline for membership. They're like, right, now we want to be down. Let's fast track this shit because this crazy fuck Putin is plotting something. Now, this next piece is from a Wikipedia timeline leading up to this current invasion, which I also linked to in the episode notes, but I'm going to read an excerpt directly from there. So this gets us from April 2021, where Zelensky was urging NATO to join to the current invasion. In November 2021, the United States reports unusual movement of Russian troops near the borders of Ukraine. By November 28th, Ukraine reports a buildup of 92,000 Russian troops. On December 7th, 2021, President Joe Biden warns Putin of strong economic and other measures. 
if Russia attacks Ukraine. On December 17th, 2021, Putin proposes limits to NATO's activities in Eastern Europe, such as prohibition of Ukraine ever joining NATO, which are rejected. So Putin made a few key demands, and that was one of them, which is stop expanding NATO and never let Ukraine join NATO. That's his claim to fame. That's his main gripe there. Then on January 17th, 2022, Russian troops began arriving in Russia's ally, Belarus, for military exercises. Belarus is, again, one of those countries right there, right on that border. I think it shares a border with Russia, Ukraine, and Poland, if I'm not mistaken. On January 19th, the U.S. gives Ukraine $200 million in security aid. On January 24th, NATO puts troops on standby. January 25th, Russian exercises involving 6,000 troops and 60 jets take place in Russia near Ukraine and Crimea. And on February 10th, Russia and Belarus begin 10 days of military maneuvers. And on February 17th, fighting escalates in separatist regions of eastern Ukraine. So again, this eastern part of Ukraine, which is more pro-Russia, had a few separatist regions, a couple regions that were pro-Russia. And Russia used that, again, as the pretext of these are sovereign Russian regions and Ukraine is technically occupying them. So we're going in to free them, basically. Now, so in terms of why, that's one of the reasons why that geographic aversion to allowing NATO to pull up to its border from Russia's perspective. But I also saw this really great video. Shout out to Kyle Kalinske, who recommended it and previewed it on one of his pieces. It's a video called Why Russia is Invading Ukraine by Real Life Lore. It's very detailed, great visuals, has a ton of information and highlights, again, a lot of things that I didn't know. So if you want to know more about this and the history of Ukraine and again, why Russia is invading Ukraine, check out this video, which I will link to in the episode notes. And one of the areas that the video shines, in my opinion, is in the coverage of the oil angle. I mentioned earlier how Russia is one of the largest exporters of oil in the world, larger than Saudi Arabia. I think it makes up 30% of the country's GDP or like 60% of all its exports, like some crazy shit like that. Like it's a petro nation. Like that's its main thing. It's like more than its main thing. Without that, it would be a very different country. And Russia, aside from being a main exporter of oil to the United States and other countries around the world. It's like the number one main exporter of oil and energy to Europe, which is right there, right? Especially Germany, which has the number one economy in Europe. And there are several pipelines from Russia to Germany and other parts of Europe. There was, that. that's the case now. There's like, uh, like four or five pipelines of oil, like how the oil gets from Russia to these countries in Europe or the, the main one, go through Ukraine. So Putin tried to lower the dependency on Ukraine and like go around it, around Ukraine. But Ukraine also discovered under its land huge deposits of natural gas. And in the past, Russia and Ukraine beefed about the gas prices that were again flowing to and through Ukraine to get to Ukraine and also to the other countries in Europe. So it was always like some static there, which is why Putin scaled back that dependency on that one pipeline and building the others, etc. And in 2013, 2014, around that time, Ukraine established a development deal. It sounds like some Hollywood shit, right? 
with the Shell Corporation to mine and develop the shale gas, natural gas that's under their country. And it was a deal worth like upwards of like $10 billion. And it would make Ukraine a major competitor to Russia in terms of gas and energy, especially in that region in Europe, which would obviously hurt Putin and be a devastating hit to Russia's economy that's so energy dependent. And I thought that was a really interesting point of view that I just really hadn't heard before. So again, I really recommend that video for you guys to check it out. Again, it's called Why Russia is Invading Ukraine, and the video is by Real Life Lore, L-O-R-E. And just a couple more things on the on the situation over there in, in Ukraine, which is I got to give it up to the people there from President Zelensky, who's out there literally on the front lines, to other like famous Ukrainians like Klitschko, Vladimir Klitschko, the boxer. I saw him give an interview to a reporter on the ground over there, you know, with a bulletproof vest on, weaponed up, fucking, uh... Ukrainian beauty queen, I think, or something like that. I'm sorry, I'm not sure what her name is, but the same. And like the government changed, did like some sort of like emergency constitutional like rule change or something like that, where they're allowing literally any and every Ukrainian that wants weapons, that wants to fight, to go fight. You see grandmas with fucking machine guns, kids of a certain age, men, women, you know, no real military training, but just like fighting for the country. And that it's heartbreaking and inspiring at the same time, if that makes any sense. And even some of the stories that are now coming out as like fake or propaganda or people are saying it's from like different times and you don't even know like what to believe anymore. But even those are fucking inspirational, <laughs> you know, like you want to believe them. Like there was one with uh, a grandmother that was supposedly walked up to a Russian soldier that was occupying a, a town there in Ukraine. And she was like, here, take these sunflower seeds and put them in your pocket. Put these sunflower seeds in your pocket. And he was like, why? He was, and she was like, because when you're dead, I, at least sunflowers will grow through your corpse, will spring up from the ground from your corpse or like some crazy shit like that. And that story is like under contention. Like some people say it's a, it's a bogus story and that's not what she said, etc. But who knows? Or like the story of the ghost of Kiev, which was like a fighter jet plain like top gun type cat that supposedly himself took out six russian enemy fighter jets that story i've heard everything from no it was more than six to the other end of the spectrum of ukraine doesn't even have fighter jets like wild shit but regardless if those stories are real or fake the situation is real what the folks over there are going through is real and you know i wish them strength to get through this shit and hopefully calmer heads will prevail now, my initial like knee-jerk reaction to why isn't the U.S. like just running up in there and fucking like regulating shit? And it's like, you know, really, the is that we want to get into like another war like immediately like that after finally scaling back Afghanistan. And also just like that technicality fact of the Ukraine is not a NATO, a NATO country. And we are fucking expanding, you know, NATO is. But your initial like knee-jerk reaction is like, yo, just go like fuck them up, you know? And you always hear this thing about sanctions and embargoes and like stuff like that. And it's like initially, like when that was the response, it was like more sanctions. Come on, sanctions don't fucking work. Clearly, I feel like Russia has been sanctioned forever. But again, I don't know exactly how sanctions work and stuff like that. But I learned through like this situation that there's degrees of sanctions. There's a sliding scale of them. And it's meant to, you know, intensify and have stronger and stronger deterrent effects, which seems to be happening. And I hope that's the case. I mean, the Russian stock market as of today 
is down like 40 to 48 percent and that was like in a day or two after like the quote-unquote swift which i think is an acronym for something i believe swift level of sanctions that were imposed and the fact that uh other countries around the world the uk imposed like their set of sanctions switzerland which is like known to be neutral and known to be like fucking that's where drug kingpins you know you see in all the movies they go get swiss bank accounts because that's that's where they could like hide their money out in the open even they froze they literally froze the bank accounts of all these rich ass russian oligarchs which is like the ruling class as well as putin's account himself which is unprecedented so it's like the world is like really rallying and they are in essence cutting off their money supply which again sucks for the russians that didn't ask for any of this shit the russian people didn't ask for the government to do this wild crazy shit because they're suffering on their end they're gonna suffer the brunt of this you know i'm sure all those rich fucks have you know ways to get what they want but the actual like people on the ground and the kids they could fucking can't imagine but it's definitely not as weak of a response as I, as my initial reaction was, or at least as my initial like reaction thought that it was. President Biden in his State of the Union speech, which I actually just listened to, had a lot of strong, tough, encouraging words backing up these decisions and also added now uh, stopping flights to and from Russia and really reinforced all these severe sanctions being imposed. Now, the last thing I'll say is that I like and am surprised, but I like what I'm seeing from like some corporations that are stepping up to the plate and independently following suit with like cutting ties uh, with uh, Russia and like doing business as usual. Delta Airlines was the first one that I saw that uh, severed ties with Airloft, which is a U.S. based. I'm sorry. Uh, Delta is a U.S. based airline. And it announced that it was suspending its code sharing agreement with Airloft in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And that works as like they're, they were kind of like in a Airloft, Delta, Aeromexico, and like a couple others. They did this like code sharing thing and they were like each other's arms in, you know, different regions. Not sure exactly how that works, but... Like when I heard the news, I I thought it was more of, you know, Delta just like canceling all flights and, you know, declining to do business in, in Russia. So it's a little less of that, but more just like severing ties with their affiliation with Airloft, the company that does travel within Russia. So it wasn't as impressive as I hoped, but it's something, right? I always expect corporations, which is like my biggest gripe with them, to just aimlessly go in the direction of where the money's at as opposed to taking an actual like moral stance if it's going to cost them. But this next one I'm proud of and gave me a bit of hope that others will follow suit. The NHL put out this statement, which I'll link to again in the episode notes if you guys want to check it out in full. Here's an excerpt from it where they said the National Hockey League condemns Russia's invasion of Ukraine and urges a peaceful resolution as quickly as possible effective immediately we are suspending our relationships with our business partners in russia and we are pausing our russian language social and digital media sites in addition we are discontinuing any consideration of russia as a location for any future competitions involving the nhl and i absolutely applaud the nhl for doing that 
and it's not nothing. You know, the NHL is has a lot of Russian players. A few of their like big stars are come from Russia. That's a stance they didn't really have to take. You know, they could have just put that like first beat out, first piece out if they wanted to say anything and just hope for a peaceful resolution, et cetera, et cetera. But not actually immediately suspend their relationships with their business partners, which is going to cost them money and going the added extra steps of pausing their Russian language, social media, digital sites, et cetera. Like that's admirable. That's what you want in a united front against a common enemy, a common, clear, fucked up aggressor, right? Just unfortunately, that's not what we've seen historically from many companies. And my hope is that when and if China makes a play for Taiwan and taking back Taiwan, which is something that I believe was like foreshadowed by the joint statement that Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin put out where they criticized, they put out an open letter and they criticized the United States several times within it. But they had like this alliance, quote unquote, type meeting. As soon as I saw that, I was like, all right, stuff is bubbling up around Ukraine. They're going to either bluff something in Ukraine or do something in Ukraine. And at the same time, China is going to try to take back Taiwan just to like destable shit even more. And I still think that's something that's going to happen. But when and if that does happen, I hope, I hope that all of these companies and folks that have financial interests in China that constantly bow down again to the money and put that in front of morals and what's right. I hope they keep the same energy that the NHL is showing now with Russia. I don't want to see any fucking John Cena speaking Mandarin apologies for saying the words, uh, the country of Taiwan and blah, 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 and passing. And then China saying, Hey, yo, you guys want, Yo, WWE, you guys, you guys want us to show the WWE here in China to our billions plus people? Have your boy John Cena issue an apology saying that Taiwan is not a fucking country. Hey, John Cena, uh, Fast and Furious 9 made $160 million in the box office, $100 million of which came from China. You want your next movie to be shown here in China or you want us to fucking not show that shit at all? And you bow down. And when you, when you follow the money like that, when that's like the main thing above all else, it's like... Come on, man. That's such a clear weakness that they're exploiting because we let them. You know what I mean? We'd be so much stronger as the people here, U.S., Americans, Westerners, etc., if it wasn't for that. The NBA, you know, saying we stand with Hong Kong, etc., when China was fucking up and arresting protesters. But a few NBA players spoke out about it. China said, yo, we're your X amount of percentage of your market share for the next decade the, the growth that you project to your shareholders is contingent on us. Shut your fucking athletes up if you want to continue that relationship. Then everybody flips. Everybody follows suit. Yo, LeBron, you want our very cheap child and damn near slave labor to produce the Nikes you like selling so much? Tone it down on your pro Hong Kong shit. And they all just bound down. Marvel fucking Studios. Here's another one. The... In Doctor Strange, that like white lady monk kind of chick that's in it that like teaches Doctor Strange the way. In the actual comic books, it's a Tibetan monk. China also has beef with Tibet in the same way of like Hong Kong and, and Taiwan and shit. And since they have financial interests in all our cultural businesses that they can exploit, like studios in Hollywood, they were like, yo, you guys want this movie to show in China? Now we're billion plus people market. Just tweak this script a little bit. Instead of making a making it a Tibetan monk, make it this like yogi white lady. 
and we'll be all good. It's a little change. It doesn't, you know, fuck with the story too much, right? It's fucking gross. But I digress. But I hope these companies that can keep the same energy when the time comes. And I applaud companies like the NHL, Delta Airlines, and others that are putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak. The Joe Rogan controversy. Joe Rogan done got himself labeled an anti-vaxxer and also had a montage of him dropping the N-word on the podcast put together long enough to score a sequel to American History X. Uh, You guys know how I feel about Rogan and his podcast. I'm definitely a ride or die. His podcast is largely responsible for me taking writing as seriously as I do now. It's the absolute reason why I podcast and what I've gained from his show, how I've grown since being exposed to his show, I couldn't overstate. Let's start with the anti-vax portion of it. I never considered Rogan anti-vax. I don't think he considers himself anti-vax, but so many people put that label on him and some credible people like uh, Sam Harris, not necessarily put that label on him, but highlighted the dangers of having anti-vax type sentiments of voices on his podcast on his platform so if i step back and think of it objectively part of me wonders do i not think of him as anti-vax because i myself am vaccinated and beyond me and my immediate orbit it's like whatever to each his own but i really don't think it's that and i honestly don't subscribe to the ideology i guess it would be of quote unquote not platforming someone that has a different viewpoint. I'm of the school of thought of everyone share their viewpoints. Let's poke holes in each other's ideas. Put me on to shit that I otherwise wouldn't know. And I hope I would do the same for you and vice versa. By having that interchange of thoughts and ideas, which is the main reason why the Joe Rogan Experience podcast resonates with me so much, which I'm going to touch on or flesh out a bit more later in a piece that I wrote that I'm going to share with you guys at the end to wrap up the episode. But listening to the podcast, I get to hear differing opinions and I get to take in all those inputs and make up my own mind. But it feels much more well-rounded when I have varying points of view and takes and perspectives on any given situation. And I feel like the folks that were attacking Rogan, at least on, on that vaccine front, came from folks that either had this belief that it was dangerous to have even an inquisitive conversation about alternative forms of combating COVID or from folks that had a vested interest in something to gain from perpetuating the mainstream narrative or just folks that don't listen to the pod like that and don't know or realize that Joe's had people on the podcast like he does on most issues that get discussed on on his show from either side. And he's questioned them and been objective with them and curious with them in the way that us fans love and have grown to love because he asks universal questions that we ourselves are thinking. And honestly, if you don't listen to the podcast, why do you care? Why do you even have an opinion? Or like why, not even why you have an opinion, because I guess anybody can have an opinion about anything, but... Why do you feel like your opinion is is even valid? Because you're literally speaking to something that you don't know enough about to speak about. 
you know what I mean? Like if you're missing the context of what the show is, what the show is about, the historical context of it, you literally don't have the background to have a valid opinion. But anyway, I'm just coming from the side of appreciation of a space where this type of conversation of not worrying about partisan bullshit when it comes to politics or, you know, controversial issues like COVID and the vaccine, but just getting as much information from all sides as you can and putting it out there to be in the forefront for folks to digest and make their own decisions. And I honestly don't know where else we get that. Everything is so partisan now. And I feel like having a space like that, like this, like what the podcast is, is so important from that perspective. And instead of demonizing it, we should be propping it up as an example of what honest discourse can be. And it's like, I've seen Rogan have, you know, sitting congressmen like Dan Crenshaw on. And on the flip side, have Democratic Senator Bernie Sanders on. And like, check each of them just with curiosity. They say, Bernie, you want to have Medicare for all? How do you pay for that? How, how does the math work out? And then Bernie, literally in a two or three hour long conversation, which where else are you going to have that? Uninterrupted live conversation. No commercial breaks, no talking points, no... You know, you can only ask me this set of questions beforehand. None of that type of bullshit that you see in the mainstream. But tell me, how do you pay for that? And then Bernie breaking down his half a cent tax on Wall Street trader speculation, which is half a cent on every single trade, speculation trade done on Wall Street. And that that adds up to X amount of dollars, which is, according to Bernie, enough to fund Medicare for all, et cetera, et cetera. That could be like fucking up some of those details. So feel free to go back and listen to the episode. But it's like that type of conversation. Then on the flip side, when he has a Republican, Dan Crenshaw, sitting in front of him and the same topic comes up, he's like, oh, wait, Rogan's like, wait, wait, wait. I, but I, I spoke to Bernie. He said with the Wall Street speculation or something like that or blah, 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 blah. He broke it down this way that Medicare for all could be paid for. So why are you saying that it can't? And he's saying that it, that it can't. And then you get Crenshaw's perspective. And there's been guests that, you know, on, on, he's had simultaneously on that are on opposite sides. I'm forgetting the two gentlemen, but it was like around uh, nu- nutrition. One was like a pro paleo diet guy. The other one was uh, something else. And, you know, they were going back and forth with their facts and figures and Rogan was like mediating it. And I also think that's something that's lost on folks that, again, aren't listeners, actual listeners of the show is that the folks he has on are credible people for the most part. And the ones that have actually turned out not to be, he has gone on the show and said, yo, this guy I had on that I thought was an expert in this, this and that wrote this book. And, and, um, like the case in point, the, uh, bulletproof coffee guy, I forget his name, Dave, Dave Asprey. And he was even selling his like coffee shit and stuff like that on, on it, on its website. It was like a really popular thing. The bulletproof coffee thing. It came out afterwards that Dave Asprey like stole that like bulletproof coffee wasn't really his thing. Like it was somebody else's. He just like popularized it and was trying to like make money off of it. And Rogan right away, you know, told the entire audience what went down, took all Dave Asprey shit off his website and stopped selling it like through on it. So some folks have like slipped through the cracks like that. But for the most part, the you're, you're speaking about credible people like professors of Columbia University and of other universities, not just Columbia, but, you know, from prestigious institutions. Harvard professors, you know, sitting politicians, like I just mentioned, congressmen and women, like a Dan Crenshaw, state senators, like a Bernie Sanders, literally sitting politicians right now. The governor of Texas, uh, Governor Abbott, 
the mayor of Austin, Tulsi Gabbard, when she was a sitting congresswoman and has been on several times after, you know, actual elected officials that are not just giving talking points. They're not prepping for these interviews that, again, are live for hours long. You know, Navy SEALs, doctors, epidemiologists, um, going back to the like the COVID thing and Michael Osterholm on. You know, it's not these aren't like quack strip mall doctors. Oh, well, this one doctor that said he saw one patient and he thinks X, Y and Z. No, Michael Osterholm is an epidemiologist, the director of the Center for Infectious Disease and is literally on President Biden's COVID-19 advisory board. He's been on Rogan's podcast for three hours. And these folks, again, go on because it's literally the biggest platform on the planet. So if they have something to say that they want to get out there, Rogan's doing to do that. And I just think it's dangerous and like misguided and short-sighted to risk that no longer being a thing because on that one mainstream topic of vaccination, he wanted to dig deeper and ask questions while still pushing for his parents being vaccinated because they're older or friends that have comorbidities that have been on the show that are overweight, et cetera, pushing all of them to get vaccinated, but also saying, Hey, how come the government's not highlighting the fact that, you know, being healthy and exercising is a preventative measure to getting COVID that the fact that our country is so fucking fat and obese is why we have comorbidities and why, when we do get COVID we're fucked because of those comorbidities and we can prevent it by emphasizing exercising and being in shape, et cetera, and trying to put that message out there. But I digress on that. Now, switching gears to the N word controversy. This one is definitely much less defensible. (laughs) Um, Again, as a longtime listener of the show, I've heard those episodes live when they happened five, six, seven, eight years ago, whenever it was. So me and, you know, we as fans, you know, fans of, of the podcast knew like Rogan, that these episodes were out there. They always have been. Every instance where I did hear Rogan use the N-word was never maliciously or like saying it at somebody. So that's 100% off the table. It was always like in the context of speaking about the word or quoting a Red Fox joke or a rap lyric and like speaking about like the power of that word and how we as a society have infused that word with so much power and that there's no other word like that, et cetera, et cetera. So I definitely want to clarify that point. But the argument to be made is one that Rogan himself agrees with, which is it's not his word to use. That was in his apology video that he put out. And even afterwards, as you know, he's spoken about it with guests on, on his podcast, you know, it's, it was a relief because again, he knew those clips of videos or past episodes, rather, were out there. He knew he had said it on the air. Again, to the critique of, you know, he's such a big show, 100 plus million dollar deal with Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Why couldn't he, like, edit it afterwards? And some uh, another thing that's hard for folks to, like, wrap their heads around. Rogan does all his own booking. Every single guest that's been there is because he's, like, literally DM them or, like, text them or people that he wanted to speak with or, like, read their books and reached out to them or asked his management to reach out to them. You know, it's not like a, a curated show like that. It's not, a, there's not a lot of production going on. It's literally him and Jamie, which is the, the producer of the show, working the cameras and, and the audio boards. That's it. And the shows up until, I want to say a few months 
before making the move to Spotify, he switched the shows to not being live. But every single episode of every single show up until that point was live on air. Like you stream it live on YouTube while the show's recording and then listen to the show as I had done many times after watching it live on YouTube. Listen to the show when it comes out on the podcast apps right afterwards. And it's literally the same exact thing verbatim. Like they were literally live. So that's just answer the question that I've seen some folks ask if he really felt bad about it. Why didn't he go back and edit it? There's your answer. But again, to Rogan's credit, after that out of context clip came out, he put out an apology, as he should have, and reiterated, you know, the actual context of the clips, but reinforced the fact that he understands and knows that it's not his word to use and he won't use it, etc. And again, to his credit, when the whole anti-vaxxer shit was hitting the fan, he put out a statement for that. And even though, like I touched on, his show is well-rounded, at least from my perspective, and he has people from different sides on, you know, it's not like he'll have them on at the exact same time. Usually there's like some shows like that, but definitely not commonplace. And he'll have them on, have, let's say, a Republican congressman on, and then the next, you know, few weeks worth of shows will be like comedians and musicians and authors and, you know, just different topics, astrophysicists, and then he'll have a Democratic senator on. You know what I mean? So it's not like he has them on, like the different perspectives or scenarios, but if you're not a constant listener or watcher of the show, you're not going to get that context, you know? But to his credit, he put out that maybe something that he should do that he's going to think of working on is having those opposing voices closer together on. So from an attention span perspective, I guess, of the audience, it'll make more sense and be a more balanced view, which again, this is not something that he has to do, but to his credit, he put that out there. And with the N-word controversy and those like controversial shows, he himself, which Spotify corroborated, removed those episodes from Spotify, even though they're out there on the internet, because once something's down the internet, it's out on the internet, but he removed them from Spotify, which Spotify itself does not have the right to do because of their licensing agreement. But yeah, man, I think the Joe Rogan podcast is a national treasure and should be treated as such. It's my opinion. And I really think that we as consumers should move away from the tendency to cut off our noses to spite our face. Remember, each and every one of us have the right and the ability to control our inputs, what we take in, what we watch, what we listen to, what we read. Trying to attack and minimize and erase things that are out there that we might not agree with won't change that fact. And with that said, I want to share with you guys a piece that I wrote. This is like, it's not a free writing piece, although it is found on the free writing section of my website. It's more kind of like an essay. It was kind of like the thought out, non-free writing, but non-fiction story thing that I wrote like this. Like I started writing it weeks ago, actually a couple months ago, now that I look at it. I think it was before even like any of the Rogan like controversy started, but it was like a kernel of an idea that I had and I wanted to write it, wanted to put it out there. I wound up, you know, writing a little bit here and there, paragraph here, paragraph there, going back to it a few days later. And I eventually posted it on my site on February 5th, 2022. And this was like in the thick of it, of the whole like Rogan controversy thing. When that issue started like bubbling up, it kind of emboldened me to like 
write it more and you know get it done because i wanted it put it out there as my like quote-unquote position on the thing but it's more so an ode to the podcast or like a testament to it as opposed to a specific response to the controversy although it does have a couple of elements like that but anyway if you want to read the whole thing please do so it's on my website at spunte.com forward slash free writing forward slash why i podcast that's the title of it why i podcast and i will link to it in the episode notes but i will also read it to you guys here before wrapping up today's show oh and actually definitely go check it out on my website spuntery.com forward slash free writing and you get to see a picture of me and joe i got to get a picture with him at a meet and greet after one of his shows one of like the last times he was before he like blew up blew up and stop doing like the meet and greets because the crowds got too big. Um, and if you look really closely in the picture, you could probably see like a jizz stain on the left hand side of my pants. And here we go. Why I podcast. I'm not sure about the exact date that podcasting became my very close second love, but I do remember the day vividly. It happened almost instantly, actually. A manifestation of love at first listen. One morning I was commuting to my nine to five. Taking the A train from Queens, the 104th Street Station on Liberty Ave, the one that makes express stops, except for the oftentimes when it switches to local stops due to a sick passenger or signal issues or some other inaudible reason mumbled by the uninterested conductor, through Brooklyn into downtown Manhattan to the Fulton Street Station. I was about a year and a half into my first corporate gig, give or take. That morning, as one does, I was looking for something productive or consumptive to pass the time with. I had about an hour-long commute, mostly underground with no internet connection. My options were limited to reading, which usually didn't vibe with my morning grog, sleeping, which was not only dependent on finding a seat, but finding one that was conducive to sleeping, like a non-aisle, non-middle, have-a-wall-or-window-to-lean-on seat. Writing my dearest first love, was also an option, but it too required finding the perfect mix of privacy and seating that lent itself to pulling out a notebook and a pen. Or I could vibe out to some music, which usually consisted of 1990s to early 2000s hip-hop or some aventura. Not being in the mood for any of the above, the term podcast serendipitously came to mind. Not even sure where I first heard the term, but evidently it was floating around in the ether of my consciousness. Oh yeah, I've been meaning to look into what a podcast is. Might as well do it now, I thought. I didn't know if it was something I could watch or listen to while on the ground on the train, so I pulled up my phone browser while the train was still lingering around the 80th Street Hudson Station due to train traffic ahead. I googled something to the effect of what is a podcast or how to listen to a podcast on my phone. This led me to Apple's podcast app, where I browsed different categories and show art. I remember clicking on a White House podcast and listening to an episode that was a couple of minutes long. It was a replay of a quick press conference President Obama recently had. Is this what a podcast was? Just audio replays of things that happened, but on demand? That's pretty cool, I guess. I kept browsing and stumbled upon the show that would ultimately impact my life pretty profoundly. It was the second podcast I ever listened to, The Joe Rogan Experience. It wasn't the behemoth that it is now, the colossal number one platform on the planet, 
the show that would become the envy of most mainstream radio and television shows because in their arbitrary minds, it didn't warrant the unwavering attention of the hundreds of millions of views slash listeners it would go on to garner consistently on a monthly basis. Back then, it was just Joe Rogan and Brian Redman sitting on a couch in Rogan's house along with a guest slash friend of theirs while they streamed live, smoked way too much weed, and shot the shit. When I stumbled upon it, I remember thinking, hey, that's the dude from UFC. Let me check this podcast out and see what it's about. The guest on the first episode I listened to was Ari Shafir. It was either episode 118 or 129. I remember it being in the early hundreds, but not number 109. I've since gone back to identify each episode that Ari has been on. I was instantly hooked. Ari has always been the type of recurring guest on the JRE that brings out the most versions of Rogan. So in retrospect, it was the ideal guest for me to stumble upon on the perfect show at the most opportune time. The episode was over two and a half hours long. What was this unedited audio soup of hilarity mixed with introspection, fascinating anecdotes, and vulnerable conversation that I wasn't getting anywhere else? It was a free and open discussion about life and experiences, where one minute they would be talking about outer space while lighting up a joint, and the next speaking inside baseball about the stand-up comedy world. It was such an intimate experience. Hearing that first pod, I had an epiphany. Oh, this is podcasting too. Podcasting can be anything. I listened all the way to work, and for the first time ever in life, couldn't wait to get on the subway again so that I could seamlessly pick up where I left off. After that, it was off to the races. If I told you that I was more hooked than Captain James, that wouldn't be hyperbolic enough to describe my new obsession. I'd listen all the time. And I mean all the time. The conversation was too pure to limit my intake to just Mondays through Fridays while commuting. I listened at home while doing the dishes, in the car while driving. No aux cable, no problem. I'd put up all the windows, turn off the AC, and put my phone on speaker. Then I'd place it in the cup holder of the center console so that the sound would be projected loud enough. That's dedication, son. Back in the day, I used to smoke cigarettes. As any nicotine head worth their salt knows, the two best times to puff a bogey would be right after a meal and while taking a shit. But pressing play on that pod you were listening to and having it pick up where you last left off while you're on the john takes the cake, my friend. I would even listen up until the moment I fell asleep. I put 15-minute snooze timers on so that the episode would automatically stop after as many minutes. And I would tack on another 15 minutes plus if it happened to shut off before I did. My reasoning to do that wasn't something sensible either. Like trying to avoid an outburst of laughter on the show waking me up from a deep sleep. But rather, I did not want to waste time rewinding the next day. In the mornings, when I'd wake up, before brushing my teeth, before getting out of bed even, I'd reach over to my nightstand, feel around for my phone and press play to pick up where I left off before drifting away to sleep. An episode would be on while I showered and while I got dressed to begin my day. Today, when I get in my car, podcasts are what automatically begin to play when I plug in my phone 
or the Bluetooth picks up the connection. You know that thing that addicts do when they get, quote, bitten by the bug, end quote, of their vice, where they get cajoled into doing anything and everything by that insatiable desire to get closer to obtaining the escape or relief or sense of satisfaction they're seeking. My podcast obsession isn't that. Objectively, I wouldn't call it an addiction. Not because it's not a true vice or negative thing, because I know folks can be addicted to, quote, good things, end quote, like exercise or success. I'd probably call it a fetish if I had to put a label on it. I have a non-sexual podcast fetish. I mean, aside from being a voracious consumer, I felt so hard that within about a year and a half of listening to that first podcast while on the train, I started producing my own. Me, introverted, self-conscious, I have thoughts and ideas but seldom think them worthy of even being uttered, me, decided to broadcast those same thoughts and ideas out into the world to become a forever record of my meanderings on the internet. Anyone can listen to any episode I've ever recorded. Yikes. Or ever will. In perpetuity. At any time. Instantly. And via their choice of the dozens of available platforms that facilitate them doing so. That's the power of podcasts. They can take someone like me who had no business speaking into a microphone and probably still doesn't and give them the license to embark on a never before even thought of path and have them become someone who hasn't missed an episode of his biweekly production of the Spun Today with Tony Ortiz podcast in seven years. See what I did there with that shameless plug? Aside from highlighting new paths for you, podcasts also have the ability of dusting off and reconnecting you with old ones. That's what they did for me with writing. Whether it was listening to a writing-specific pod like the Creative Pen podcast with Joanna Penn, or listening to accomplished authors discussing their crafts on an episode of the JRE and others. I was put on to so many gems, like The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, On Writing by Stephen King, or Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, to name a few. I otherwise wouldn't have known they existed. Or documentaries like David McCullough's Painting with Words, or Hemingway, which helped reinforce and reinvigorate my own desires to write. When it comes to Rogan's podcast, I love the plethora of experts and variety of episodes, from the silly fests to the brainier ones. When he has someone like Sam Harris, Brian Cox, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Lex Friedman, or Elon Musk on, to name drop a few, listening to those episodes makes me feel like my IQ is rising via osmosis, like I'm eating vegetables for my brain. Like I'm taking a huge scoop of athletic greens, micronutrients, for my dome. See what I did there? This excerpt can be found within the acknowledgments section of each of my books and will always be included in any that I write in the future. Quote, the Joe Rogan Experience podcast was the motivating straw that broke the procrastinating camel's back for me. It has been a hub of fascinating conversations, inspiration, fun times, and life lessons. Not only did it make me realize that it was okay to pursue my dreams, but it gave me the necessary kick in the ass to realize that they were all possible too. 
It's truly a gift that each of you should unwrap. Joe, Brian, Jamie, and every guest that has and continues to share their experiences on the show, thank you. I am eternally grateful. End quote. Many years after that fateful morning train ride, I'm still an avid listener. What I appreciate most about Rogan is the essence of transparency that echoes throughout his orbit. His willingness to sit and speak to anyone is contagious. Whether they are on his side of the fence on a particular topic or completely opposite it. Through egoless, unedited, long-form conversation, he's able to discuss his points of view while allowing his guests to flesh out theirs. He questions and pushes back firmly yet respectfully. He objectively fact-checks himself and others in real time. Pull that up, Jamie. All the while doing us, the listening public, the huge service of allowing us to be a fly on that wall. Nowhere else that I'm aware of does this nexus of humility, vulnerability, and expertise exist. It's empowering in that it has the unintended, perhaps, consequence of giving each of us the license to be just as vulnerable, to admit when we're wrong, to say and understand that it's okay to say, I don't know. That's why I podcast, to reverberate that spirit as an ode to those that came before, as a big up to those that are currently doing it better than I could ever hope to, which also inspire me to keep it pushing. It's my way of paying it forward, if you will. Apologies in advance if my show happens to be the first podcast you ever listen to, but just know that my intentions to put you onto something worthwhile is pure. I want to highlight the parts of movies that encapsulate an emotion, the moments within shows that inspire the spirit, or the prose and books that resonated with some dormant place within me. I aim to share the insights of a poignant stand-up comedy special and let you know where I stand on current events at a particular moment in time, all while chronicling my journey to becoming the writer I know I can be. And with that, folks, I say adios. Thank you for checking out episode 202 of the Sponsor Day podcast. Please stick around to listen to a few ways that you can help support this show if you so choose. I'd really appreciate it. What's up, folks? Tony here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I enjoy producing it for you. Here are a few quick ways that you can help support this show. You can support the Spun Today podcast by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. There you'll find my merch section where you can cop the iconic podcasts versus anybody t-shirt in a wide variety of different colors and all different sizes. Also, if you're into cycling, you can cop the super soft, comfortable, minimalist design Spun Today Bike Club t-shirt. Also available in a bunch of different colors and all different sizes. There are a few other designs of different types of t-shirts. Definitely go there and check it out. SpunToday.com forward slash support. It's the merch section where you can also get a dope coffee mug. I have coffee mugs with the brand new redesigned Spun Today logo on one side and the tagline that I end every show with on the other which is start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. The mug is available in both black and white. 
because we don't discriminate here at the Spun Today podcast. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and check out the merch section. You can support the Spun Today podcast by checking out my writing. You can go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing and check out some of my free association writing, which is intended to be some cathartic free writing, but oftentimes doubles down as motivation for myself and others. At spuntoday.com forward slash short stories, you can read a bunch of the different short stories that I've written and actually listen to the audiobook versions of those short stories there as well. Another way you can help support my writing is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash books and checking out what I have in store for sale. Digital copies are available in all formats, whether it be Kindle, iBooks, or a different type of e-reader. You can also purchase paperback copies if that's your preferred reading method. Currently available, I have my nonfiction, Make Way For You, which is a collection of freely written thoughts that were curated and put together as tips for getting out of your own way. Also available is my debut time travel novel titled Fractal. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books to show your support. Support the Spun Today podcast by following me on social at Spun Today on Twitter, at Spun Today on Instagram. Please also check out and like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Spun Today, and subscribe to my YouTube page as well. On my YouTube page, not only will you get these full length episodes, but you'll also get to check out some chopped up clips and bonus content. To get to my YouTube page, just search Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on the footer of my website. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening. It really does help. The Spun Today newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm going to do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're going to receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests. I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address and you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address and you'll get the very next one. If you want to help support the Spun Today podcast financially, you can do so by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. Here you'll find a few different ways that you can do so. You can shop on Amazon, but first go to my website, spuntoday.com forward slash support. Click on the Amazon banner, which will take you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Another cool way that you can help support this show is through Patreon, where you can set up reoccurring donations to my podcast, whether it be $1 per show, $2 per show, etc. And depending on how much you choose to pledge, you will receive some Patreon perks in return. Things like free writing pieces, free bookmarks, free digital copies of my books, etc. Again, my Patreon link can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. You can also set up similar reoccurring payments via my Ko-fi page, 
And if you want to send a one-time happiness bomb donation, if you will, you can do so via my PayPal link. Again, all of which can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. If you're a fellow creative, a cool way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast and actually be part of the podcast is by filling out my five-question questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Here you'll find the five open questions related to your craft, your art, what inspires you to create, what type of unrelated hobbies you're into, and what motivates you to get your work done. You can choose to remain anonymous or plug your website and your work. And once you submit your questionnaire, I read your responses on a future episode of the Spun Today podcast. It's completely free at no cost to you. And what I like to say about it is that if your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? SpunToday.com forward slash questionnaire. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.